So should we get started? Let's get started. All right. And let's do this. Let's spend 15, 20 minutes at most. All right. We can be yeah, actually, and I'm recording right now, so I can just yeah. share something with you. And I wanted to tell this to Kelly. Kelly, there's a guy that goes to the gym with me. His name's John. He's a really high profile realtor in the city. And he was asking me what I've been up to. And I was telling him about you guys. And I was like, yeah, I'm kind of helping with gentle transitions, practice valuations and things like that. He's like, oh, man, I wish I knew about you. Um, I, I just, I have a building. I sold the dental practice, but I've got all this equipment and um, I've got all this dental equipment that I'm trying to sell. And I was, he's like, I'm glad you talked to me. So I was like, yeah, me too. Because I don't know if we can do anything with that, but he seems like he definitely wants to try to sell it. And I know I've seen on those websites, some of those websites that you've shown me that also have like practice listings for sale and associates, you know, positions for associates. They also have, I thought I saw like equipment on there too. He has a bunch of dental equipment. I don't know what kind of condition it's in or anything like that, but he wants to grab lunch next week. So I was thinking about inviting you to join us so that you could maybe sit in and help, help me know yeah. what the heck's going on. He's super, he's super popular on social media and he's very successful. I think he's like the president of GAR or something. Hmm. So yeah, absolutely. John Lopez, his name is, but anyways. I think All right. I know uh, who you're talking about. Yeah. He's got billboards and everything. Yep. So, yeah. Billboards. Yeah. He's I actually think I saw one of his billboards down in the, in the near downtown where all the, the, uh, Tent City is. <laughs> yep, sounds about right. Yeah, so I was like, wow, he has this big old bil billboard over here. <laughs> cool. He's on um, billboards yeah, I and, think I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, and, he, and he's on bus stop seats, right? Yes. Or the bus stop. Yeah. He, may, big he may have sat on his face. You may have sat on his face. <laughs> <laughs> we need to well, There's an out. intro right there. Welcome to Getting Down to Business, the go-to podcast for dentists and business owners looking to master the art of running a successful practice. Each episode is packed with invaluable insights and practical advice tailored specifically for the dental industry. Now, let's meet our expert panel. First up, we have Eric Bergmeier, a certified public accountant and certified valuation analyst. Eric brings a wealth of knowledge in financial management and business valuation. Joining him is Cheryl Bergmeier, also a certified public accountant, known for her expertise in financial planning and strategic business advice. Next, we have Rachel Robles, our valuation specialist. Rachel's insight into business valuations are invaluable for understanding the true worth of your practice. Kelly Yardman, our business broker consultant, brings her extensive experience in buying and selling dental practices, offering unique perspectives on the market. And finally, Josh Wagner, our sales and marketing specialist. Josh's strategies will help you grow your patient base and enhance your practice's reputation. Together, this team will guide you through the complexities of balance sheets, income and cash flow statements, valuations, and much more. So whether you're starting a new practice, looking to expand, or just aiming to fine tune your business strategies, you're in the right place. Now let's roll up our sleeves and let's get down to business. Today, we're going to be looking at a very specific um, set of financial statements, one in particular. That would be the income statement. We've actually been talking for the last few weeks about uh, the different types of statements. 
uh, as we've gone through January. Uh, so we're just going to be diving into the income statement in particular. So um, Eric, I have a question for you about uh, the income statement. Um, why is it important? And can you just, in the simplest terms, summarize what it is? Is it is it for a specific period of time? Um, what does it show? Just go ahead and take sure. the wheel and tell us All what right. we need to know about the income statement. Okay, perfect. So, so just to remind the audience, we started with what are the three basic core financial statements you need to be looking at? We've got a balance sheet, we've got a statement of cash flow, and we've got an income statement. And last week, we did a deep dive into the balance sheet. Today, we're going to do a deeper dive into the income statement. As we talked about on the previous episode, the income statement tells us really, um, you know, from the from the very basics and, and where I'd like some input from everybody else here, just because I get a little bit more technical on this. But really, from the simplest of terms, what cash comes into the practice and then cash that goes out of the practice via our expenses or normal operating expenses leaves us with the number at the bottom, hopefully a income, a net income rather than a loss. And, and generally, that income statement is prepared on a monthly basis, and then we also look at it on a year-to-date basis as well. Uh, and it, so it tells us over a period of time how much income came into the practice, how much cash came into the practice, and then what are the normal operating expenses we see uh, out of a dental practice to give us, at the end of the day, a, an operating income number. And that's, in the simplest terms, what an income statement is. And uh, I'll, I'll welcome the group here if anybody wants to share anything. I think, Rachel, from your perspective, what do you see when, when you think of an income statement? Because you're probably um, more a non-technical person coming in looking at income statements compared to Cheryl and I at CPAs. Uh, well, first of all, it's very important to me to see a net income and a positive number. <laughs> not a negative number. Um, but also, uh, I try not, I, I try to reserve, reserve all my judgment, um, until I've had an opportunity to understand, uh, exactly what is operating expenses versus non-operating expenses. Cause that can, can, you know, uh, have pretty big adjustments. Um, but uh, overall, uh, to me, the income statement is going to show me the health of the practice. Yeah, and, and, and you bring up a very good term that I wanted to make sure we get into a little bit more detail on operating versus non-operating. And Josh, if, if you can, can we go ahead and share your screen right now? Let's go ahead and, and pull up the income statement we were, we were just sure looking can. at. Yeah. Yep. And this looks pretty good to me here. And, and so when Re Rachel's talking about operating versus non-operating, and, and, and I know we've got a lot of detail on here, but quite, honestly, this is kind of a, a summarized income statement, other than it provides quite a bit of information for this particular practice. And what we're looking at for this practice is nine months worth of data from January uh, of 2023 through September of 2023. And, and that's the first two columns. The second two columns would be the comparative to the year earlier. And then the last two columns are the dollar variance and percent variance. And I wanna to touch real quickly on what Rachel discussed on the operating versus non-operating. 
So in any business, as we, it, it, we briefly touched on in, in our introductory meeting, there's normal operations and then there's non-operating activities. The normal operations are the, the things that you normally think of when you have a dental practice. I provide a service and there's service income. I pay my people and there's normal salary expense. I pay rent and there's rent expense. I pay supplies and there's supply expense. But then there's also non-operating. And when we prepare an income statement, we, we show the non-operating towards the very bottom of the income statement. So Josh, if you can kind of bring your arrow all the way down to, mm -hmm. let's say stop right there at the operating income. This is the, at this $436,000, this would be the operating, the normal business operating activity generates an operating income, in this particular case, of $436,000. Towards the very bottom, uh, as Rachel pointed out, there's two other items that are going to come into play that we tend to see in a dental practice. Um, there's depreciation. And, and that's a, a, an accounting term that we can discuss in a little bit more detail. Uh, generally considered a non-operating activity. And then there's interest income and or interest expense, which would also be non-operating items. So this is a little bit more of a more complex set of financial statements for a dental practice. But this is our preferred methodology of how we want to show the operations, the financial operations performance of a dental practice. Yeah, Eric, I don't know if I would call it more complicated, but it's more targeted to highlight specific information that we look at. So yeah, I, you're right. You're right. Yeah. So I wouldn't say it's it's it it's not a complicated thing, but if you were just running your financials out of QuickBooks, let's just say that's what you're doing, this is not what you would get out of QuickBooks. Um and um, by doing it this it's way, more, it's more robust. It's more robust. Well, it's more, it's categorization by particular um, groupings that tell us a difference, tell us the story. Yeah. Right? When you, when, when you talked about like QuickBooks, when you get, when you get financials from a new client or Rachel, sometimes when you see financials and they come to a side of QuickBooks, like, like, what do you see when, when, in, in regards to that? Because the, the, they're just line item expenses in alphabetical order. Correct. It does not. Uh, normal straight P and L is not going to separate operating from non-operating expenses. It'll have income, all expenses, and then you may have a section that says other income. You may. <laughs> yeah. But that's pretty much it. It doesn't tell you what is required to run your business versus things that are not necessarily required to run your business, operating versus non-operating. Yeah. I have a question for you, Eric. Yeah. I might be jumping ahead here, but if I was a doctor, I was a dentist, and I was thinking about giving my staff a raise, would I be looking at this statement or would I be looking at one of the others we talked about? That's a great question, and 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 I love at you asking that question because that is that is common. You know, sometimes the doc doesn't know whether there he or she may be looking at the balance sheet and saying, "Where's my uh, payroll expenses?" And and clearly, the answer to your question is, this is the right document. You want to be looking at your income statement, and when you 
Josh, if you want to go maybe to the upper third of this, when you see total salaries, payroll taxes, and benefits just a little bit further down, just bring me down a couple more lines and you're going to get the grand total of all of those. And you can see through the nine month period, this particular practice paid out $214,000 of salary, uh, salary related, employee related benefits. And then to your question, do I know if that's a good number or a bad number? And do I have the opportunity to uh, afford a raise without breaking the bank of this particular practice? And this is where we want to move over to the next column with those percentages. And in this particular case, um, 214,000 represents 24.3% of the collections that have come in. So this, this is where that common size column is important and what you don't typically get out of just a, a dump of financial statements out of QuickBooks. You just don't get that level of detail immediately. Um, but but so Eric, now but that we case, know. But in but this case, we, so we see that 24%, is that is that a good percentage? Yeah. And so when we look at that, we say, well, 24% is is really an extraordinary percentage on this particular uh, right. revenue that's coming in. It, it generally, from the standards that we look at it for a, a general dental practice, that number is, is typically around 30%. And, and what we've been seeing over the last couple of years, the numbers tending to creep up to 31, 32%, just because the rate of inflation on payroll has been so challenging to dots. Uh, and so uh, whether or not this is fictitious or real, this particular practice is benefiting tremendously from um, a, a great revenues stream compared to its uh, employment expenses. And so then in this particular case, Josh, to your question, there is definitely opportunity to provide raises and stay well within the industry standards. Obviously, whatever raise is provided will have an impact on the net income, but this is a particular practice that can afford to easily do so and still stay within the normal trends of a, uh, a, a general dental practice. Um, I see so, that in this um, income statement, it doesn't, in the under salaries, it doesn't have, it, even though it does say benefits, it doesn't say, it doesn't have, they don't have benefits, but that would also be, a component of this um, grouping that to take into consideration. Yeah, this particular client doesn't. This particular client probably doesn't have health insurance coverage for right. their employees, nor does it have a retirement plan. And and that Correct. could very right. well be the reason why these expenses are below the norm. But to both right. uh, statements you've made, if this particular practice had those expenses, they would be associated up on this line, Kelly. You're absolutely right. This would be where those benefits would be. All those employee-related costs would be under that particular category. So I'm looking at the total income, and I mean, it's almost a million dollars. Uh, it's almost 900K. And I'm looking at down way at the bottom, it shows the net income is only 120K. Um, so is that... Typical. Um, it just seems like that's a really big jump from 800 to 120. It's a lot I of think expenses. It would be, 
more important to look at the operating net income line instead of the very bottom net income line because we like to see the operating net income uh, not more than like 60%. So, or, or the uh, op net expenses. operating expenses, not more than 60%. So what's in non-operating expenses? That's, that's discretionary. That's up to the dentist. Uh, so what is more um, telling of the practice health is going to be that net mm -hmm. operating income line and what's included in operating expenses. Yeah, that, that's absolutely correct. And so when we had this conversation with the, with the client who had just purchased the practice and we were able to sit down with her yesterday and, and go over financial statements with her, um, the, the way I described this was, and, and to, to, to Rachel's point, if you collect $100, $50 goes to cover, and, and, and this is the example for this particular set of financials right here. $50 and 50 cents go to cover your operating expenses. And then $49 and 50 cents are left for you. And when we look at that relationship, um, when we look at that margin, uh, to Rachel's point, a healthy practice is typically a 60-40 type relationship. In other words, on the $100 that comes in, $60 goes to cover true operating expenses. $40 is left to provide the doctor a salary, and then there's going to be something left to cover uh, if, if this is a new practice and it was acquired with debt, uh, an amount to cover debt service. And so, so in this particular case, Josh, as you observe, we go from 882,000 in collections up top to the very bottom of 120,000. What you skip over and in, in, in partly through here is the compensation to the doctor. So, so are you from, saying that, so the owner of this practice is also the doctor, right? He is, he's getting out of this 800, sorry to interrupt, out of this 800K. Yeah. Before we get down here, he paid himself this amount and his wife and his, and other, and the taxes and stuff, right? That's correct. Okay. I, I just, that's correct. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So this net income is like leftovers. And, and the net it's income like is what's pro left. Profit. Yeah. But really, the to to Rachel's point, the operating income is what's really what's really the net the net income of the of the own of the organization before compensation to the owner and these other expenses. I mean, depreciation and sometimes if you have debt, you're going to have interest expense. But really, if you're looking at the operations of the company outside of paying the doc and and again those other other income and expense items, the company made the doctor four hundred thirty six thousand dollars. That's what this tells me. Like if I'm saying, okay, gosh, I'm working so hard. Like, it, you know, it seems like, God, 120 doesn't seem like the right number. It seems like I should be making more than that. The doc is, the doc's making 436. Gotcha. With, well, with less than 15, but um, for the other expenses. But it, it, we, we started doing these financial statements this way um, a few years back because it really, just the general financial statements you get out of your, standard um, QuickBooks, Xero, but other, other software, 
doesn't doesn't tell you the story this way about what does the doctor, the owner, um, really get benefit from this this company. And so itemizing it out this way tells them a better story. And it's not just sugarcoating it. It's just saying, here's really what it looks like. One of the other things too is is like that top, on the top line, the income where it has less gross receipts tax collected. Sometimes, and I've seen this in other financial statements from other firms, they don't have that. They have total collections and that includes the gross receipts tax. So when sometimes when businesses make decisions they base they base it based on all to, the total gross collection yes and that's a very grave mistake and why would that be eric yeah well, you know and, and that's a really good point uh, you know when you when you look at it in normal uh, output from quickbooks gross receipts tax may be buried uh, well will will be buried um, and again, the, the gross receipts tax, uh, if, if we're lucky to n enough to have a nationwide audience, uh, gross receipts tax is a odd tax in the state of New Mexico and the state of Hawaii where uh, services to some degree are, are taxed, uh, like a sales tax. Um, now, when you collect that tax at the time a service is provided, that tax revenue is not your revenue. So if you're looking at those taxes as a below the line, Kelly, to your point, your revenue line looks artificially inflated by a number, and it's it's right. a, it's a, it's a, it's just it's not an insignificant number. And you know, if somebody, if a doc's thinking, well, my practice is worth sixty percent of collections, and I have now inflated my quote unquote collections number by gross receipts tax, I may have now, in my mind established a, a sale price or a value. And again, we're going to do a whole thing on, on the valuing of a dental practice that gets far more complex than just simply a percentage times revenue. But that's where you're going to get some, um, some of your analysis is going to be thrown off if you're working with an income number that is higher than which truly is your income. Well, and all and, of these percentages would be skewed. That's right. That's right. And many times we see that 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 um, gross receipts tax treated as an operating expense, yep. which then makes your operating expenses look a little. I mean, so the net income, the net result, the bottom line won't change. It's just where it lands yep. and then how the calculation, how that goes into the calculations for these common sized percentages. That's right. Um, that's right. And, and that's why we do it net of the gross because really we do it net of the gross receipts tax because it's not our money. It's not the doc's money. So yeah, and, and that's standard financial reporting. That's the way it should be done, to Cheryl, to your point. Your income is your income. Your income isn't something more, and then you're going to arbitrarily decide what you're going to give the state in terms of a sales tax. Um, no, it's very clear. You're collecting that, and that does not, that income does not, those receipts do not belong to you. Yeah. So we want so, to show that and, and we work with that net number after gross receipts. Yeah. So when we talk um, about when doctors do talk about collections here in New Mexico, we have to be careful because we have to take into consideration yeah. the reduction for the gross receipts tax. Now, not everything that you collect in your dental practice is subject to gross receipts tax, which is a whole other, a whole other thing, especially a webinar for another day. Yes. What yeah. was that you just said, Cheryl? I, I, I didn't hear all that. So 
just because they collect $908,000 doesn't mean all of that is subject to gross receipts tax. It gets very complicated in New Mexico, especially unless you're all fee for service. And then that means everything is subject to that gross receipts tax. Um, you know, anything, if you are contracted with insurances, um, it, it's, there's, there's special deductions and adjustments in the gross receipts tax calculation for those. Yeah. So more than we want to get into. In, oh gosh. In, in yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's a separate episode. It just opens sure. a whole other can of worms because they changed right. the rules last July too. And we're closing that <laughs> can right now. Do, yeah. do, um, is there anything else that you, um, want to point out on this particular before we leave this, uh, you know, as we mentioned, you know, when we, we, we as we started it with the introduction, we're going to build this webinar and this conversation that we're having, at our fireside conversation on financial around, uh, you know, our good friend Norton Henley. He had written the book on getting down to business. One of the things that Norton routinely discussed in the book and where Rachel and I do spend a lot of our time are those two concepts of return to labor and return to capital. And so when we looked, when Cheryl pointed out to the operating income of 436,000, that is the number we kind of begin with from which the owner in this case has a, an amount of that 436 coming back to them as a return to labor. In other words, compensation for the work they do generating that top line revenue. And that's where this gets a little arbitrary. What is that right return to labor? But whatever that number is, Josh, you kind of identified is like, gee whiz, there's 430. We start at the top line with 882, but we end with 120. But between that 882 and that 120, we have those operating expenses we have a return to labor charge to compensate the doc for their services. And then that very bottom line, that 120,000, arguably is the return to capital. In other words, their return on investment. And when we do the valuations, and we, we'll get into that way more next month, um, that return to labor is an important number. I'm sorry, that return to capital is a very important number because at the very beginning of, of time for a, a, a dental practice owner, most of that return to capital is likely going to cover debt service. In this particular practice, we know that there's very little debt. So that $120,000 is typically going to the doctor's pocket at home as a draw uh, out of the practice. But I wanted to make sure we we started at least pointing that out because when we do get further into the valuation work and we do principally look at the income statements to help us do those valuations, we 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 stand fast to those two very important terms: return to labor, which is the owner compensation, and then return to capital, which is the return on investment. Return to labor being the owner compensation in the scenario where there's an owner operator. If the right. owner were not the dentist, return to labor would be what you pay the dentist that runs the practice, even if they're not an owner. That's correct, that's correct. So in this example, or for, for an example, then let's just say it was, if someone else was the owner operator, does, would that mean, you know, they paid the, the salary to the doctor, the 190, does the owner operator get the 120? Does he get the return to capital? 
the owner would that's correct and 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 in this particular example if we wanted to go down that path we would have to ask the question whether or not $190,000 is a reasonable compensation for a doctor who is not an owner but working in the practice but yes Josh to, to answer your question simply if I were to own this and I'm not a dentist and I paid out everything according to this, then arguably speaking, at the end of nine months, I would have a profit of $120,000 for me. Now, if I had debt to buy the practice, that $120,000 may come down further by that debt. But if I paid cash for the practice, that $120,000 comes back to me. That makes sense. Which, really, okay. which brings you back into like the cash flow statement, which Next I just week. wanted to be clear the difference between return to labor being an owner operator and a non-owner dentist. It's either gonna be above in operating expenses right. or if you are an owner operator, then your income is discretionary and is then below the line. But if you're an owner and you're not a dentist, then you absolutely have to pay a dentist to run your practice. And now the compensation to a non-owner dentist is going to be above the line. Yeah, it's going to be fourteen. We call above the line, meaning ab above the non-operating expense line. So yes. the compensation to a non-owner dentist being required to run your practice is going to be in the operating expense line. Mm -hmm. that's, that's a very good point. Yeah, so the 214 up above would be more like 350. That's right. Yeah. And and the, and and I like the presentation this way because it gets to tell the story a little bit more with the doc and and, it, and you know if he or she should ask how am I how how am I doing this year? And I, and I like the presentation this way because the last column tells us the story Year over year, business is up, right? We look at the top line. Year over year, collection income is up 13.6% or $105,000. That is a nice increase, you know, and, and we can have lots of conversations about why that's happening. And as we scroll down, it's very interesting. In this particular example, almost, well, not almost, all of that falls to the profit line, the operating income line, the, the net margin before owner compensation. So this is very bizarre if this is an actual, and this is. Right, because you're essentially, what essentially the story is, I've made an additional 105 grand in revenue with no additional expenses, which is yeah. right, really impossible. Which is very <laughs> and, and And quite frankly, there is an increase in those other, you can see there is an increase in cost of goods sold. There is an increase in salary and benefits line. However, there's a significant de decrease in the administrative expense. Yeah, they dropped so that, that offsets it. You know, and this may be the case where they may have been using a consultant for years and those consulting expenses are now winding off the income statement because that engagement no longer uh, has, has expired, but the doc is now benefiting from all they learned from that consultant. And now voila, I am making more money. Um, I am now getting to keep more of that. And at the same time, I'm, I've, I'm now no longer having to pay that consultant. So more of that money gets to come to my bottom line. That could be 
the story here. I don't remember the specifics of this particular client, but that's that's generally what's going to happen here. There may have been other reasons why those other expenses were much higher and now are, are significantly lower. But th but this is a nice story to share with the doc. Hey, you're 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 doing more, and now as we go to the very bottom line, uh, you're keeping more of that as well. So you know, so good for you. You really improved the profitability of the practice, and you, you could see that throughout. And as we go back, and we can. Um, you know, as we summarize with the cash flow statement next week, we can always go back and show, yeah, and all this means there was more cash in the bank for you from which you can do other things with. Yeah. But well, the, other thing, the, the most, other thing, my most favorite. Go ahead, Cheryl. The other thing about the way this is presented looking year over year um, is from a tax planning perspective, you you shouldn't go into the end of the year and you you know you get a surprise right so here we're saying okay last year at this time you're at forty five thousand we're at one hundred twenty we're in a different tax situation right now that we have to have conversations about right. um, and so going into that last quarter of the year you can start to make some decisions again we can tell it does not look at this point that there is any retirement plan for this this um, company mm -hmm. so maybe that's something to consider and talk about um, but I think. That's the other thing too, is to say, okay, yeah, you're doing great. You know, thumbs up, everyone's happy, but hey, don't forget, <laughs> Uncle Sam will be calling and will want some of that that increase that you have. So um, are there ways that you we want to take some mitigate? of that happiness away? Yeah, we give it and then we take yeah. it away. <laughs> and then we crush you. No. Yeah, but so we'll be strategic. Okay. Well, that's the thing. We'll help you keep as much as possible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why we look at it and we say, okay, yay, this tells a great story. But then, yeah, from a tax perspective, it 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 does something, you know, something different. Um, it tells us we're going to owe more. Um, that's just how it works. But are there things that we could do in the next, the last quarter of the year to mitigate it, to um, address it, you know, to change the tax situation? Yeah. And Eric has his what 10 top tax trip tips. I can't even say that. Top it's 10 tax tips. Yeah. Oh, these are beautiful. You know, when when we when we started the introduction for this section on financial statements, we talked about internal users and, and external users. And and as we were looking at the very bottom here, that net income, you know, I, I think about um maybe, you know, I'm I'm part of the internal team. So, so we do talk about tax planning and, and as we're sitting with the doc and, and, you know, we're not sitting for the first time in September, you know, we're looking at these financials beginning really six months into the year. So as a internal user with the client, with the doc, uh, as an advisor, Cheryl, to your point, we can start looking and saying, wow, we see a nice trend here. And we need to be thinking about a, a handful of things that we can do to either either mitigate that tax liability. And well, if there isn't much it. more we can do, you know, we're going to be in a situation where you're making more money. There's only so much we can do to limit that tax liability. We need to be thinking about setting money aside to either prepay some of that tax burden or have that ready when we file. Should should things change in the last quarter and we may not find ourselves in that same situation, but, but clearly a client that's performing this way, 
is likely going to go in in the fourth quarter still performing this way. So let's make sure we're adequately funding that tax liability, either through wages or estimated tax payments. Um, and, 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 you know, when we talk about Rachel and the valuation role, and we, again, we talk about internal versus external users, a lot of times Rachel and, and Rachel and Ke Kelly are looking at these financials as external users with the bank. And we're looking at these with a banker who's looking to potentially finance uh, a potential sale. And so these financial statements become this particular set of financials, this income statement, it's arguably the most mission critical statement a banker will use to underwrite um, a, 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 an acquisition. I'm gonna so, disagree with you only on one point. Okay. This income statement does not take into consideration discretionary spending. So right. an adjusted or normalized yeah. income statement and is going to. Yeah. Yeah. The adjustments coming out, you know, so if there was a lot of travel in here, that may be pulled down a little bit. The meals and entertainment may be pulled out a little bit, right? It can, it, sure. it can, it can change a situation. Yeah. Discretionary and, meaning expenses being too small or expenses being too big. It can go yeah. either way. And, and, and Rachel, when we get to the valuation section of this next month, we'll actually go through kind of the, the, the columns that you see and say, here's what you've reported, Doc, year over year over year. Here are the things that we're making adjustments for, We whatever they may be, whether they're up or down. And, the purpose of today's conversation, I have to go into that deep dive on that side of it, but clearly when we get into the valuation side of this, is one of the chapters in Norton's book, we, we do want to pay a lot of attention to that particular process, of course. Well, and I think just for the audience's benefit, the Rachel, can you describe what it means for it to be a discretionary expense? Like, what, what would you consider, like, how, how do you determine what's discretionary? Uh, discretionary, a, a discretionary expense would be a non-operating expense, but it may show up before we adjust for it. It may show up under operating expenses, like it may be um, travel or auto-related expenses, um, or it could be discretionary okay. salaries. Go ahead. What about like consulting fees? Are they considered discretionary? Yeah, it depends. <laughs> You're right. And Actually, that's I, the perfect I, answer because a lot of these things do depend. It, it, that's, let me, everything depends. Everything depends and we're going to have to look at it. The fact that there's a spouse's salary below the line and owner's compensation, which is a non-operating expense in this case, yeah. I would say it depends because if I, in in doing the due diligence and the valuation process found out that that spouse actually provides a, a role Service. plays a role then i think that's not discretionary and that's i actually a really good know, point what's the fair market value so, of so that you're non-discretionary so discretionary so non-discretionary in our firm <laughs> <laughs> land Eric's, this plane. Tell, Eric's telling us to land this plane. But Eric, the reason I asked about that, but Rachel brings up a really good point, is that sometimes when, you know, businesses who have spouses who are actually playing a very significant role as like an office manager, 
She's saying that's no longer a discretionary that should be below the line. That needs to be up and operating because the next doctor that owns that facility is going to have to hire someone and have salaries up in that line. So that's going to impact the profitability. Of, so that's what she's saying. Again, gets into and, the valuation stuff. As so. I mentioned, we're going to deep dive all that next month when we do valuation of a practice. I wanted to keep this just to the income statement in the simplest terms possible. Understanding how but there's a nice try. There's a lot of a lot of content that we can educate people about, and uh, so I'm excited to learn more. I know that I always learn something new when I get on these calls. Um, so thank you all so much. We appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for checking out, getting down to business. And next week we're going to be going further into the financial statements. I believe we're looking at the uh, the cash flow statement next. Statement of cash flow is next week. Okay, great. Can you give us a little preview, just a quick preview of like what to what to expect or any homework that we cash might want to look at statement before we're tells you where your cash goes. back here again? <laughs> the statement of cash flow is probably one of the most co complex statements to understand, but it solves the question that I think Kelly likes to ask all the time. Gee whiz, Eric, it looks like I have all this net income, but where did my money go? And the cash flow statement helps explain that. You don't see that on the income statement. You don't right. see that on the balance sheet, but you use the balance sheet and the income statement to help navigate through the income, uh, the cash flow statement. And that answers the question generally, where did my money go? And yeah. so, yeah. Uh, it's Eric's favorite is, financial statement. Perfect. It is my, it is, I, I, I enjoy. If he wasn't married to me, he would marry a cash flow statement. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and on that note, we're gonna wrap it up for this week. But we will sec we will see you next week on Getting Down to Business. Thank you so much for joining us. Bye bye. Thank you for tuning in to Getting Down to Business. We hope you found today's episode enlightening and empowering as you navigate the world of dental business. Don't forget to join us next week for more insights and expert advice tailored to help you run a thriving practice. Until then, keep striving for excellence in your business. We're here to help you every step of the way. Thanks for listening. And remember, we'll be back next week to help you get down to business. Then a year to date income statement to show not only how I did for the given 30 day period of the month, but where do I stand on a year to date basis? And really I'm what we're sorry. trying to look at. Guys, we got to stop. I was sharing my screen. Okay. I was just sure. typing that to you. I'm like, you're sharing your screen I'm the like, whole time. Why can I not see looking at the income That's statement. Okay. <clears throat> that was like a little, a little dry run intro. And okay. Eric, why do you sound like um somebody stuffed you in a pocket in somebody's pocket? I don't know. Why why do I sound like that? Oh, look do I there. Sound like my that is much better now when I tilt the camera down. Because he's always stuck in someone's pocket. <laughs> Well, but I what does that mean? You all sound like that. Maybe it's do I sound like any my... different? Do I it sound must, different I think than it's anybody just else? My computer, maybe. Oh, I think Kelly, you always sound... do that. That's why I said that. Do I sound any different right now than I do any other time? No. Okay. Well, not me. me. Not really. Then Cheryl, this is either how I sound or it's your jacked up computer. <laughs> it could be my jacked up computer. All right. All right. Rachel, uh, do I sound different to you than what I normally sound like? No, I can hear you well. You sound normal to me. Okay. You sound muffled. Right. You're this not in normal. my pocket, so. <laughs> you sound like you normally do when I stuff you in the pocket. <laughs>